Bible is a truly amazing book for many reasons. And one thing that's always impressed me about God's written word is how it was written not just for us, but for all people of all times. And we notice that because as we're reading along in the Bible, sometimes we'll read passages that kind of leave us scratching our heads and wondering, why is that even in there? That doesn't really touch me in any way. It just kind of leaves me flat, Uh, particularly like in the Psalms. When you're reading through Psalms, there's 150 Psalms. And to be honest, some of those, when I read them, it's just like, well, that just doesn't say much to me. And I become aware of the fact that even though that doesn't speak to me, it speaks to someone. There is someone in the world that needs to hear that. My, um, My experiences and who I am are certainly different from Christians, say, in Syria or Iraq or Iran or Egypt, and perhaps some parts of the Bible that they would read that I might skip over, that might be their lifeblood. Or perhaps someone back in the Middle Ages uh, read something and thought, wow, uh, that really speaks to me. Well, the reason I'm mentioning this is the passage I'm about to read in 1 Corinthians is a passage that I think is for our day and our time. In fact, I think as time goes by over the next uh, few years, however uh, long that might be, uh, this passage will become more vital for us to know and to put into practice. It comes out of the first letter to uh, the church in Corinth that Paul wrote. We call it chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. I'm going to read a version that's a little different from the ones that you have. It's a little bit of a paraphrase. But I do believe that it it really highlights what this passage is all about. Let's be standing, please, as we hear this, the Word of God. Remain standing then for the, the song that follows. Paul writes, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are dying, but to those of us who are being saved, the word of the cross is the very power of God. For it is written... I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the intelligence of the intelligentsia I will overturn. In this day and age, where can you find a truly wise or educated or intelligent person? Has not God exposed the wisdom of this world as foolishness? Since the world has not come to know God through its own wisdom, God in His wisdom thought it best to save those who believe through the foolishness of preaching. Even though some people ask for a miracle and others seek their own wisdom, we just keep on preaching the crucified Christ, which is scandalous to some and sounds like foolishness to others. But to those of us who hear the calling, Christ is God's power and God's wisdom. And even the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. And even the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. May God bless the reading of his word. If you attend a funeral or memorial service, you know at some point someone or someone's so we're going to get up and um, kind of give a brief capsule or life story 
of the person that is being remembered. And that portion of a funeral or memorial service often falls to me, and I spend quite a bit of time with a family talking about the person that they love so dearly and putting their life story together. It's a sobering moment for me because I can't do that without thinking about what's that going to be when mine's put together and how's that all going to fit and what is my story going to be. Uh, I come out of the process, too, with some regrets because every time, even if I've known the person well, something comes up that I wish I had known before. Uh, I wish I had known to talk about that with that person. Uh, For example, one of those was Ed Polk. I remember as I sat around with the Polk family and we were talking about Ed, it came up that he loved classical music. I didn't know that. Ed and I had spent a lot of time talking. We had had a lot of experiences together, and I didn't know that we shared a passion for classical music. I understand why it didn't come up, because most of us that like that kind of music don't talk about that much, uh, because the rest of you kind of, you know, sneer. And I know there's some of you sitting out there that like it, but don't worry, I'm not going to blow your cover, okay? But how great it is when you run into someone that shares something like that with you and you can talk about your favorite Beethoven concerto or talk about Mahler or some of these guys. It's like, wow, that's cool. I wish I'd known that. I wish I'd known what a difficult life that Betty Lucas had had as a child. I didn't know that. All I knew was this sophisticated, refined delightful, wonderful person as an adult. I didn't know the struggles that she went through and all the things that had happened to her early in her life so that I could marvel, as I do now, that her life turned out the way that it did. And that's another thing about putting these stories together. I I run into so many events that happen in people's lives that they had no control over. I run into times of, uh, when people lost their parents as young children, uh, growing up in, in, in terrible poverty, uh, particularly this generation that is quickly passing from among us, the World War II generation, or as it's been dubbed, the greatest generation. And, and as we're talking about their life story, we talk about the dreams they had and the direction they're going, and then boom, there's Pearl Harbor. And everything changes. And their lives go in a totally different direction than they ever thought they would. But it's amazing, too, to look and see how they coped with all of that. How they put those things together. How they viewed the world in order to assemble their lives into a story that brought honor and glory to God. And that's what we want to talk about for just a few moments today. Because that's what Paul is talking about in this passage. What is the main thing in our lives that we use to bring order to our lives and through which we make all of our decisions and through which we see our world? Now, Paul threw out some, a couple of uh, possibilities in his day and time. Uh, he said, you know, a lot of the people really are into wisdom or philosophy, we would say. 
Now, mainly the Gentiles, as he mentioned in your passage, if you were reading along, that, that in order to make sense of their world, they learned Plato and they learned Aristotle. And any of y'all ever read any Plato and Aristotle? It's fascinating things, the way that they viewed reality. And they said, this is what our world is, and this is how you fit into the world. And some people found their meaning in that, and that's what they looked to. That was the lens through which they viewed how to live and what to do and what their story would be. He mentions another group. He mentions it's mainly the Jewish people. It's mainly people that are not on top of the pyramid. It's people that uh, are being oppressed by the current system. They look for miracles. You know, they, they just want everything to change. They want God to come in his glory and turn the world upside down and say, boom, you know, here it is. And, and that's how they kind of lived their lives. And that's where they saw themselves as kind of the oppressed and the pushed down. And they're waiting for God to come and just turn it all over and, and do these miraculous works like they had heard he had done before. Now, Paul offers a third alternative. And it's an important alternative for us to consider today because we live in a time where everything is changing so fast. Not just technology. I know all the gadgets we have and everything. I think some of the technological changes and advances are fueling some of the other changes that are going on. But I sense, and I think you do too, that the way we have looked at the world in past decades and generations is suddenly, just within a very short time, changing. And it begs the question, how do we cope with that? What view are we going to choose? Who is going to mold the way that we look at the world and how we see what the world is and what I am and how I fit into it? As I say this, I'm looking around at, at folks that, that, that have lived many years and folks that are just getting started, you know, and I look particularly over here at this corner. Man, university years, those are years that you really make strong decisions about who I'm going to be in this world and what this world is going to mean to me and what makes this world make sense, what basically philosophy I am going to follow. Well, in all of this mix... In Paul's day, and the mix that we face today, who's going to tell me who I am and who's going to tell me what this world is? Is it going to be the 24-hour news networks, or are we going to let them define the world for us and who we are? Is it going to be the music and entertainment industry? Oh, my. You know, boy, that's a powerful force. And if we see their lens to the world, it's disturbing and scary as to what they're pushing us to think and what they want us to be and how they want us to view what's going on around us? Or is it the third alternative, the one that Paul brings up, the one that he says, this is mine, and in fact, he says, this is the only thing I want to talk about because everything else I do, everything else I think, Everything else I am goes through this one lens. The one thing and the only thing he says I'll talk to you about is the cross of Christ.
Jesus and him crucified. Now, you think, okay, I believe Jesus was crucified. I believe he was hung on the cross. That's kind of over here in my mind. It's a part of who I am. Paul says, "Uh uh-uh. It's not just a part of who you are that you accept this story that Jesus is the Son of God and that he hung on the cross, he died, he was buried, and he was resurrected. It can't just be a part of your story. It is the central part of your story. And everything else you know about life, everything else you decide about who you will be and what you will do, how I will treat people, what I'll do with my resources, everything else goes through that one funnel, that one lens, that one view of Jesus on the cross. Wow. That's quite a statement. There it is. The word of the cross, the message of the cross, the fact of the cross, that Jesus, the Son of God, hung on that cross and died for us. That is the power of God. That is the wisdom of God. That is what makes everything else fit and tells me where I am. Now, it takes a lot of unpacking to deal with that. I've got like 10 minutes. I want to make a few observations about what that means to me. When I look at the cross of Christ, and I look through the cross of Christ at everything else, the first thing I notice is who God is. You see, without the cross of Christ, I can come up with a lot of funny ideas about who God is. I can come up with the idea that he's kind of a capricious God that just does what he wants to do. Kind of like the ancient Greeks, you know, with all their Roman myths and everything about the gods doing this and all that. You you can come up with those ideas. Or you can come up with the idea that if there is a God, he's really kind of detached doesn't seem to have much interaction with us folks. He's just maybe out there, kind of like the old deism, which I've read is kind of making a comeback these days. But back in the days of George Washington and Benjamin Franklin, a lot of these guys were deists, and they believed that God created everything, kind of wound it up like a clock, set it over there, and it's watching it go, you know? And it's up to us to make it work. And sometimes we can kind of get that idea. But if you look at God through the cross of Christ, what do you see? You see a God that loves you intensely. You see a God that cares deeply about you. You see a God who is a self-sacrificing God. Now, that's a different kind of God than the majority of the world espouses. We see other religions whose God is vengeful, whose God is conquering and wants to go out and do all these things and they're terrible. And we look at God through the cross of Christ and we see a God who's willing to give himself up for us. We see a God who's not only self-sacrificing, but a God who's willing to enter into our sufferings. You know... Sometimes our faith is strained because we are suffering and we go through dilemmas in our lives, whether they be health problems, economic problems, relational problems, and we begin to doubt whether God is there. Because after all, if God is around, why am I suffering? 
If you look at God through the cross, you find that God is there and he's suffering right beside you. If that is his promise to hold your hand and to go through the struggles and to go through the sufferings, those things we would not know without the cross. We could come up with some strange ideas about what God is all about. But Paul says, when you look at God, hold that cross before you. Look through the cross. You'll see the real God. Another thing that the cross helps us see is what it is that we really need the most. You know, someone comes up to you and says, well, what is it that you need? What is it that you want? What is your greatest desire to have? Oh, wow, we could be all over the map, can't we? You know, all the way from uh, money, <laughs> you know, I'd like to have a lot of money, or I'd like to have a lot of this, or I'd like to have a lot of that. What is it that you want? Just tell me what you want, and, and it'll be given to you. What would that be? The cross of Christ has an answer for that. The cross tells us the truth about what it is that we most need. Now, we shouldn't be surprised if we started reading the Gospels at the beginning of the Gospels and then work our way to the cross of Christ at the end of the Gospel. By the time we get there, we already know what we really need the most. One of the first stories told about Jesus, and I mention it often, I apologize for bringing it up again, but it just means so much to me. I love this story. And you know the story about when Jesus is teaching in Capernaum, and he's in a house, and all the people are gathered around it. Yeah, we're going to talk about that one more time, all right? And here's all the people gathered, and here comes some people bringing a friend of theirs who's paralyzed. They're carrying him on a little litter thing, you know, and they, carry, and they think, if we can just get him to Jesus, Jesus will heal him. They can't get to Jesus because of the crowd. They go up on the roof. You know, we just say that. Oh, yeah, they went up on the roof. They carried a paralyzed man up the stairs or up a ladder onto the roof, started ripping off the roof, put him down there, and Jesus looked at him, and he saw what he needed. Now, everybody else in that room had an idea about what that man needed. What did he need? His health. He needed to walk again. Jesus said, yeah, that's a need. But he saw his greatest need. And the very first thing he said to that man was, my son, your sins are forgiven. He knew that that man, just like every person who's ever lived, most of all needs the grace and mercy and forgiveness of God. Now, I want to tell you something. Left up to my own self, that would not be my number one need. Because, yeah, I do some things wrong. I make some mistakes. But I'm pretty good at giving grace to myself. You know, I'll get over it. You'll get over it. Let's just go on. No big deal. The cross of Christ tells us that is a big deal. That whenever we rebel against God, when we are not the people he created us to be, whenever we hurt others and we hurt ourselves, yes, whenever we sin, that that is a problem that cannot go away on its own. And the greatest need that we have is for God to act and for God to give us his grace and his mercy. If there had been any other way to do that other than the cross of Christ, don't you think God would have done it? 
Why would Jesus, being the Son of God, and as Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2, existing on the equality with God, why would he give that up to come and to live among us and to suffer and die for us? The only reason was he knew we needed it, he knew we didn't know we needed it, and he knew we couldn't do a thing about it. But he could. And that's why he did. So when we look at the cross of Christ, we see our own weaknesses and our own frailties and know that only through the cross do we receive what we truly, truly need in life. And that leads us on to the last thing I want to bring up today is that when we walk through that cross, then we do receive what we needed and we are reconciled with God And we can go out and live like people who are children of the king of the universe. That things are good between me and God now. No matter what I was before, it's been taken care of. And no matter if I fall and stumble, if I look up to him, he'll pick me back up and we'll move on. The message of the cross is it worked. It's kind of a strange thing. I wouldn't have come up with it. Oh, we want to save humanity. Why don't we die on a cross? That wasn't my idea. But my ideas are kind of silly. God, in his wisdom, gave us the cross. And therefore, we are reconciled to God. Paul says later in in his second letter he wrote to the Corinthians, he said this. In Christ, it's funny, he's still talking about the cross a whole letter later. In Christ... God was reconciling the world to himself because in Christ, he no longer had to count their trespasses against us and therefore he gives us the message of reconciliation, sends us out and calls people be reconciled to God. He tells the Romans, because we have been justified by faith, live in peace, live in peace. And then he goes on to say, and you live by hope, you're saved by your hope and you rejoice in your hope. Because of the cross of Christ, life can be good with all of its problems, with all of its struggles, and we can progress in our story knowing that when our story is finally written, it was lost in the story of the cross. It was lost in the word of the cross. Therefore, we saw things as they were because we believed God in his wisdom and his power. That is the call And as Paul said, those who hear the call recognize and benefit from the power of God. And the power of God is in the cross of Christ. Today, I beg those, some of you were born into this life view that you've always believed in the cross. But my invitation to you today is to truly hold it before you and look through it and see how your whole life is shaped by that one story. There's others of you who perhaps have heard about the cross of Christ, but have never pulled it up and said, this is who I am, and this tells me who I am. We ask you to accept the Christ who died for you, to put him on in baptism, to wear him in faith, and to leave this place reconciled with your God. We're going to stand, we're going to sing, There'll be people standing around on the perimeter of this room. Don't leave here today without the power of God in your life.
Let's stay in this thing.